Canto 2 of The Purgatory begins with the never-failingly lovely image of the sunrise. If you remember that they'd arrived in Purgatory an hour or so before dawn, and Canto 2 begins with the sun just beginning to appear over the horizon. It's described in lovely terms, Aurora, that wonderful name for the sun, is said to be throwing her golden rays with a vermilion flush across the heavens. But at the same time, you'll notice that Dante describes the sunrise in what's also quite a discombobulating way. It feels utterly cosmic. He refers to Jerusalem in his mythical geography on the other side of the globe. He refers to the Ganges and then also to the Pillars of Hercules as if spanning east and west. He talks about the constellations falling out of the sky as well as the globe turns. And you wonder why has he done it in this extraordinary way? Um, it really makes you think. And my suspicion is that he sets this kind of cosmic puzzle to give us the mood for this canto, which is at the same time one of promise, but also bewilderment. Um, we know that we're now seeing the stars and are never going to lose sight of them, but that doesn't mean that there's not going to be struggle and confusion um, and even elements of fear and terror. And in some ways, this massively cosmic way of describing the sunrise, referencing the whole of the heavens, north, south, east and west, is a way of intimating that you know we're engaged now with wonderful things, but terrible things as well, in the old sense of tremendous. We humans are called to become conscious of amazing things, but that means that we must change ourselves, our consciousness must radically shift. And I think it's that which, this opening canto, which pays very close attention to what you might call the minute particulars of the sunrise, to reference William Blake's key phrase he thought for understanding the ways of God to enter into the divine imagination. You know, we must try and not just see a beautiful sun rising once again, but look, see through um, the, the celestial globe rising um, to see something of the heavens as well, um, which of course is where Dante is going to end up if he can see more than again, to use William Blake's phrase, more than just um, the guinea sun rising like a golden coin above the horizon and see something of the heavenly hosts crying holy, holy, holy. I think it's something of that that Dante is inviting us to at least step towards in this canto because it's precisely what Virgil and Dante must do. They can't though. And um, it also describes at the beginning of Canto II how Virgil and Dante are left um, sort of disembodied actually. Um, it says that their thoughts are running away from their bodies, so their thoughts are chasing around all over the place in this new landscape, um, where their bodies are just rather stuck by the sea. And then something else happens, because Dante notices another light coming now from the west, from the opposite side of the sky, from the sun. 
he describes it as like Mars in the West, a red light, not a golden light, a setting light, not a rising light. But they become fixed on it and watch it grow faster than a thought can fly across the sea, in fact. Um, and it becomes a white light and then they see it's a white light with wings and it turns out to be the angel of the Lord. Um, our minds go back immediately to the last time we saw a fearsome, powerful angel appear outside the gates of Dis. Only this time, it's very much the light, the brightness, the whiteness that's described. Virgil actually comes to his mind more quickly than Dante does with this encroaching vision and says, fall to your knees, it is the angel of the Lord. Virgil perhaps has had more direct experience of angels in all their power than Dante has. But it's very interesting how it's described because, again, I think it is both an intimation of what they will see, but at this moment it confuses and is quite frightening, in fact. So, as um, Dante the Pilgrim describes the light, uh, the angel, and as they discuss it between themselves, um, it is the whiteness and the illumination that is described. It's falling to their knees um, as the only appropriate response to this tremendous power. Um, Dante says he can't look at the white light once it gets to a certain distance from them, which of course is one of the key things he's going to have to be able to do is look into white lights, brighter lights, if he's to um, rise into paradise. We don't know how that's going to happen at this point, um, but it's a kind of prophecy um, that that is what's going to have to happen. To put it another way, it's very clear that this angel is extraterrestrial. It's from the heavens, whereas this place that they are in purgatory at the moment at least seems quite earth-like, although miraculous things can happen. Um, it perhaps also reminds Dante and Virgil that they're seeing an angel that is shining brightly because, of course, it's not so long ago since they saw the angel Lucifer, who was the beautiful creature, but now has almost fallen out of being into frozen darkness. And it's also said that as um, the angel moves across the waters, they see that the angel is powering a boat, and in this boat are over a hundred souls. Um, the angel's wings are said to point up towards heaven, but to move the boat across the water as if by some occult force that they at least realise is not like sails catching a wind. And then they noticed something even stranger, that although the boat is moving across the water, it doesn't make an impression upon the waves. Again, they're in this sort of shared space where Dante, the still living, breathing, physical human being, can exist but also souls can exist with their weightlessness, their levity, and even angels can exist. We'll be invited to imaginatively to step into a space where reality is greatly expanded from the everyday. The boat lands, and as they start to hear the souls, they realise that um, they're singing a psalm, in fact. They're singing when Israel went out of Egypt. Psalm 114. Um, the whole psalm's not quoted in the canto, but I just wanted to read a few lines from the psalm because, again, it captures this sense of the strangeness of nature 
almost leaping out of nature as we normally think of it to become connected to divine reality because the psalm says that when Israel walked out of Egypt, nature sprang into jubilation. It says the sea saw it and fled. Jordan was driven back. The mountains skipped like rams and the little hymns, the little hills like lambs. What ailed thee, O thou sea, that thou fleddest, thou Jordan, that thou wast driven back? Ye mountains that ye skip like rams, and ye little hills like lambs, tremble thou earth at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, which turns the rock into a standing water, the flint into a fountain of waters. It's this wonderful sort of turbulence um, that's glorious, and um, that the psalm captures that's utterly appropriate, not just for what Dante and Virgil are experiencing, but of course also for the souls arriving in this new place. They too are undergoing a sort of abrupt, um, discombobulating experience of a new consciousness dawning in their minds, as if to say they can't really keep a grip on the ecstatic nature of what they're experiencing. Dante the poet describes the angel, once the souls have got off the boat, disappearing quite as fast as he had arrived. Um, remember, the angel in Dis did that as well. Um, it's like angels are on a mission that we don't really get. Um, they seem to come and go, um, do their thing, um, but then disappear quite as quickly, leaving us quite confused. Although it is stressed that this time the angel um, has blessedness on its face, and as the souls depart, it blesses them. Um, so this is an angel that's not cursing the souls as happened outside Dis, um, but is willing them on their way for all the mystery that that might involve. The souls that have arrived uh, wander around in a rather confused way, even Dante the poet says, as the sun is continuing to rise steadily. Um, there's a kind of sense of juxtaposition here. The souls are rather aimless, even as the sun is fulfilling all that it should fulfill at the beginning of a new day, following God's ways, you might say. Um, and then they see Dante and Virgil and ask Dante and Virgil for advice. You know, where, what, where do we go next? What do we do? Um, and Virgil speaks up and says, well, actually, you know, we're pilgrims here too. Just notice Virgil saying that he's a pilgrim. Um, he's on his way. Again, I don't suppose he quite knows what he's saying at this moment, um, but he's over-speaking and I think increasingly indicating that prophetically um, he is uh, on the pilgrimage to heaven as well, keeping that um, possibility in mind. He even goes so far as to tell the new souls that he's had to come a very tough and rocky way through hell, you know, unlike them that have received the blessings of the new dispensation, the Christian dispensation. And Virgil says that what happens next is going to seem like play compared to what he's experienced thus far. Um, he doesn't know it fully yet, but he's beginning to realise something about the new dispensation. And then the new souls look at Dante and realise that he's breathing, that he's still alive. And it says that at first they turn pale in wonder. I think it's quite frightening. It's, you know, what's going to happen next? But then almost in the next um, instant, um, they rush towards Dante. It says they crowd around him as if he was holding an olive branch 
as a bearer of good news. Um, I think, you know, they're in that state where one minute you can be terrified and the next minute you can be hopeful. And that's the turbulence that they're experiencing upon seeing Dante. Much like in hell, um, Dante's physical breathing presence is going to cause regular interest amongst the souls that they encounter. Um, I think here at the moment we don't quite understand, um, with the souls in fact, we don't quite understand what that means. Um, but you know, anything new, any detail, um, any minute particular, um, at least they rush towards it in this instance rather than being sort of frozen as the souls in hell seem to be. They recognise that it's a positive message like an olive branch um, rather than something they can't even begin to get their minds around. And then one soul in particular pushes forward, elbows his way to the front and approaches Dante and immediately there's a recognition. Um, turns out that this soul is a great friend of Dante's. He's called Casella. Not much is known about him other than in the poem here, um, but he was a musician and we learn from the poem that he set some of Dante's earlier words to music. And there's a very lovely scene now where the two friends meet um, and share their joy uh, reconnecting. And there's oft, obviously a lot of love and affection um, here, except that their meeting is in a new place. And Dante describes how he reached out to Casella three times, trying to hold and hug and embrace his friend as he would have done in normal life. Only now he can't his arms move through the soul. And Casella tells him, you know, look, I'm, I'm dead now. Um, it, things are different now. Um, and Dante says, but, you know, how come um, it's been three months um, it's taken you to get here? Um, the implication is that Dante, the pilgrim, knew that Casella had died already. He must have died before Dante set out on his journey. So he's now a bit confused because he knows that happened three months ago, not just a day or two ago. And we learn a really interesting sort of set of details um, uh, as a result of this, because Casella says that he did die three months ago, um, as Dante remembered rightly, um, but he struggled to leave the earth. Um, it's said that he went to Ostia, um, which is the Roman port, of course, by the sea. Um, my reading of that is that ports um, and the sea are liminal spaces. There were people, um, you know, depart over the horizon, uh, maybe disappear beneath the waves. So they're, you know, places of great spiritual imagination as well. Um, you know, why wouldn't you, as a soul who's just died, make your way to the sea, sensing somehow that's a point of departure? It seems that this is precisely what Casella did, and he was right to, because that is where the angel of the Lord, we learn, comes to pick up the souls to bring them to purgatory, except that he wasn't able to get on the boat for three months. And I think that what that's about is this sense that when we die, it can be quite hard to leave the earth. Um, you know, maybe partly because we don't know what's happened. It takes time to take that on board. Um, and uh, we don't know. Um, we, we can't leave behind life, which might have been really rather lovely and really rather good. Um, you know, every so often you hear reports of this um, struggle for souls to leave the earth in hauntings and things like this. Um, and it's not always because things were bad, it can be because things were, were good on earth. 
And that intuition of mine seems to uh, be supported because what happens next um, is that Casella invites, um, Casella says to Dante, you know, let me sing a song um, as we did of old. And Dante says that would be a complete joy. The song he sings is words of Dante's that he'd set to music, love that speaks to me in my mind. And at first it sounds, you know, sort of appropriate. Um, Casella has said actually um, that if the new law of this place allows me to sing a song, I will sing a song. You know, a bit like Cato, Casella has realised that there's a new law operative here. Um, and moreover, Casella in a way gets it a bit more right than Cato um, because Casella intuits it's about love and so sings a love song. But there's a bit of a twist um, because the words that Dante had written are actually a love song to Lady Philosophy and not to Beatrice. Um, so there's a bit of a tension um, for um, the sort of uh, the knowledgeable reader at this point. Um, Casella has sort of unconsciously realised that love is the appropriate thing to sing about, um, but has also made this mistake, um, echoing Dante's mistake. Um, and it makes you feel a bit nervous, you know, what's going to happen with this song being sung here. It seems like um, it was nothing short of a good idea because all the souls are comforted. Um, there's a, a sense of um, settling, resting, enjoying um, the beauty of the song. Except it's interrupted because Cato suddenly appears again and disrupts them. They were singing the song as if that were all that existed, um, the poem says. They were lost in the song. It was a relief from their bewilderment. But Cato says, you must put aside that nostalgia. Here you're to do new things, different things, sometimes hard things for all the blessings that are around. Um, it's a deep message, I think, um, with a sort of profound spiritual truth in it, which actually quite often gets picked up now um, by the Buddhists if you do a meditation course, because they will tell you that meditation isn't just about becoming detached from suffering in life, from the things that are difficult, as it were, being able to take a step back from things that you struggle with in order to get that greater space, that new mind around suffering, and so easing suffering. Um, but they'll also tell you that taking a step back from that which makes you happy in this life is important as well. Not cutting yourself off from it, but realising that it isn't the sum total of bliss, of delight, of joy. Um, if you become too attached to happiness, it drags you down quite as much as if you become too attached to suffering, because you're limiting yourself and to step into the more Christian way of putting it, um, you're keeping yourself tied to earthly things rather than seeing that the joys of this life can channel much greater joys and delights, which are the things of heaven. So Cato, in his clunky way, knowing that there's a new law but not quite understand it, is inadvertently quite onto it. He realises that they must stop this nostalgia. And Dante, the poet, says that they scattered like pigeons who had been proudly feeding in a field and were suddenly thrown in all directions. It's a wonderful image. Pigeons are really quite like that. 
But it's also an interesting metaphor because, of course, the angel coming across the water had been described like God's bird with his wings completely aligned with celestial things, not going off in the mad panic of pigeons who've been disturbed. And so recognising that they have a new need now, that their minds are seized by that once again. They've realised that they're in purgatory, not on earth. But bewildered again and confused, startled, even frightened, that's how the canto ends.